You're listening to Deep Dives with Sharks, a shark podcast focused on shark species, shark safety both for you and the sharks, and news from the past couple weeks. Sit back, relax, it's time to take a dive. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Deep Dives with Sharks. I am still the host here, my name is Alex, and you may have noticed that clicking on this episode I actually finally have a logo for the podcast which was made by my sister so I would like to give a quick shout out to her and thank her for that. But there is a new thing that we are going to be introducing into the podcast and that is going to be Cleanup Corner because as I mentioned before... Uh, there's a lot of things I'm probably going to get wrong. Now, I'm not a shark expert by any means, as I mentioned earlier. I do a lot of research for this, but there's going to be things that either change over time that with the science, the way that it evolves, that things we believed before either change differently or that things that I thought were correct, I suddenly learned were not. So I'm going to try to address that as they come up. And of course, the I guess second cleanup corner because the first one was about shark teeth. But the second cleanup corner is going to be that I was subscribed to the idea that if dolphins are nearby, then more than likely there won't be a shark because they tend to not like each other. But the thing is, they have been known to kill each other. So it'd be kind of hard to kill each other if they're not near each other. So saying that if dolphins are nearby, sharks won't be isn't exactly an accurate statement. So that is something that I did want to clean up real quick uh, because there was a story that came out, I believe, I forget which country it came from, but there was a, I believe, 22-year-old girl who was jet skiing and saw a dolphin swimming around with them, wanted to jump in to swim with it, and ended up being bitten by a shark and uh, unfortunately died due to those wounds. Now, this is why I also want to always say to be vigilant in the ocean, because if you're in the ocean, there's a chance that a shark is nearby. So you want to be aware of your surroundings, uh, and that's also what the whole safety portion is for, hopefully making you more aware of signs that there are a shark, that there could be a shark nearby. It's better English, Um, but just making sure that you're not just jumping in haphazardly. You're kind of checking around to see maybe this dolphin's being hunted or something like that. So it's a very unfortunate incident, but... I did want to also make sure that we added that to cleanup corner so that way people don't think, oh, yep, dolphin's here, I'm safe to do whatever I'd like. Still, keep your head on a swivel. But I ran a poll, y'all voted on it, that's how this podcast usually works, and for this week, the shark that we have is the cookie cutter shark. Now, I've actually been looking forward to doing this for a while because these sharks I I usually say the sharks are pretty cool. I I think that has been said in almost every episode, Um, but they're actually, they're they're really neat. I'll go with that. They're neat, Um, but they get their name because of the circular shaped bites they leave, Uh, but they're also referred to as cigar sharks because they tend to have small, uh, they tend to be small and be brown in color resembling a cigar. They also have small fins, uh, dorsal, pectoral, and anal fins, so they tend to be very cylindrical. They can be found around Japan, Hawaii, the Galapagos, Madagascar, Brazil, the Philippines, and some islands off the coast of East Africa as well, so they like islands quite a bit. These guys are pretty small. They only range to be about 42 to 56 centimeters, or 16.2 to 22 inches, so a little over a foot, but definitely under two feet. Now, despite their small size, they still travel quite a distance, about 1.9 miles or 3 kilometers a day, and spend most of their time about 3.7 kilometers or 2.3 miles below the surface 
during the day, but they head towards the surface during the night when they are hunting and feeding. Now, these guys also feed on a variety of animals. This includes whales, dolphins, seals, other sharks, rays, tuna, jack, and other bony fishes, so they have quite the diet. Now, compared to other sharks, they tend to not kill their prey, but they will take a circular bite out of the animal, leaving the marks, and many animals survive this encounter with the cookie-cutter shark, although many do not as well, depending on their size. Their bites are about 5 centimeter long and 7 centimeters deep. Depending on the animal, they can bite and it can be deadly. So if the animal's pretty big like a whale, can take that bite and be fine. But the jack tend to be a little bit smaller, they might not survive that encounter. Now, very similar to other sharks, cookie cutters will tend to target weak, sick, or injured animals. Uh, so when they bite them, many animals that have washed ashore in areas where cookie cutter sharks are present will have many bites on them. And you can find pictures of this all across the internet. Now, the cookie cutter can latch onto prey by creating suction, angering their top teeth into the animal while biting with their lower teeth and rotating their body to create that circular bite. The neat thing about the cookie cutter is that they have a very different upper and lower teeth. Their upper teeth are almost like a cluster or a hodgepodge, if you will, of small teeth so that they can anchor onto the prey and get more of that uh, area covered. Uh, but their bottom teeth, they're just a almost single row of teeth in a straight line. They're much pointier, and this helps to slice through the skin of the prey that they are biting. Now, similar to other sharks, they will lose their teeth, but they will keep growing them back one at a time for their top teeth. Unlike other sharks, they lose the entire bottom row of teeth in one go, which means that they have to start growing teeth for their bottom row before they lose the top set or else they can't eat. So, a little difficult there. But, these guys are known as faculative parasites, as they tend to have parasitic relationships with their prey. They'll bite at tissue, but they don't really rely on the same individual for their entire life. So unlike other parasites like that appear on the Greenland shark on their eyes, which we'll talk about a little bit more, that's a little free Greenland shark fact, uh, but Greenland sharks do have parasites on their eyes, and they'll stay there pretty much their entire life. The cookie cutter shark does not just stay latched on to their prey. They take a bite, and then they bugger off, so it works. Now, they also have a dark band on the bottom of where their neck would be, and it's supposed to help lure prey towards them thinking that they're an injured animal, similar to how other sharks go for injured animals. They see this, it looks a little bit darker, a little bit like blood, so they'll head to it thinking, oh, this is going to be an easy meal, and then they get bitten by a, a cookie-cutter shark, so a little bit interesting there. Now, quick sidebar, though. I've never understood the evolutionary principle of putting false eyes or other things to lure predators or prey away from the head, but still near vital organs. Like when we get to the epaulette shark, a thing that I've always wondered is they have a false eye on their back that looks like it's directly over where their heart would be. So their brain's okay because that doesn't get bitten, but then they don't have a heart. So I'm hoping that that gets explained once I get to that episode, which I think might be in the next poll. So watch out for that. Um, but Follow me on social media, uh, Facebook, not Facebook, I don't have Facebook, on Instagram at Deep Dives with Sharks and Twitter at Deep Dive Sharks. So, yeah, you'll see the same logo, everything there. But <laughs> with this, I'm always wondering why that's an evolutionary thing that worked. I mean, it makes sense. I've seen it on fish's tails before, but on sharks, I've just noticed it usually over, like, their heart, which is kind of interesting. 
But unlike other sharks that depend on higher dissolved oxygen levels in the water, the cookie cutter can thrive in low dissolved oxygen levels as well. They also do have bioluminescence, which is really interesting because this means that they glow. Now, they don't glow the same way that others do, so you may have noticed those jellyfish that grow, glow that bright blue color. They don't tend to glow like that. They kind of have more of, I've, I think I read that it was more of a green color to it, but their whole body doesn't grow. It's only like little speckles to try to blend in with their surroundings. So that way, if an animal is looking from below and they look up at them in the night's time, they're not just going to see a silhouette of a shark. Instead, they're going to see little speckles all around its body, so it's not it's going to break it up a little bit more, make it a little bit easier to not be eaten. But this also is going to help get smaller prey that thinks it's just a speck that they can eat to come in and then they can bite them too. So a little bit of a win-win in that function there. Now, they also tend to stay away from humans, but there have been some bites documented, especially around the Hawaiian islands. There are four total uh, just around Hawaii alone, and I think those were the only four documented ones that were confirmed cookie-cutter bites. All of them occurred when swimmers were attempting to cross the channels of the Hawaiian islands, and they were on different parts of the body. I believe it was shoulder, chest, calf, and bicep, I believe, and all of them made a full recovery, so none of them have died from it. Now, I could not find any information on if anyone has ever died because of cookie-cutter sharks, so I don't really think that it's happened, but I could be very wrong. Um, they tend to be schooling sharks as well, so it's possible that there could be multiple bites at once, but they tend to only bite once, uh, so you'll notice on some of the photos you can find online that like the whales have about a million cookie cutter bites in them when they wash ashore, so they are a schooling shark, so it is possible to get bit more than once, but probably not by the same shark. Now, these sharks were also responsible for knocking out U.S. Navy submarine navigational equipment because they were drawn to the electrical output from the machine, same as all the other sharks that we've gone over. They can sense the electromagnetic pool in the water, um, or the, at least the electronic pulses in the water, and they could tell that this is a thing that's or putting out an electronic pulse, and I would like to try to eat it. So they did, and then they would mess up the system. But... From there, uh, the Navy realized that if they just put carbon fiber over top, that they don't really bite through it and it masks it enough that they don't tend to bother it. So easy way to solve it. But for a while, they did think that there was some unknown enemy weaponry that was causing their systems to be knocked offline, which had to be pretty terrifying only to find out it's a less than two foot long shark that's just messing up your systems. But they also have small fins and not a lot of meat. So they're really small. Their fins are small too, so they're not caught for finning. And fisheries don't want them because they can't really use their meat for anything. They're not going to get it. So they don't get swept up as bycatch very often because they're pretty small to get through the net. And they're also about two miles below the surface. Uh, so it makes them listed as least concerned on the endangered animal scale, which is really good. That I think is our third shark in a row that's least concerned, which is kind of wild because we don't get too, too many of those, especially not in a row. So that's rather good. I kind of like the streak that we're on, but I guarantee with the sharks that I want to do next, we're not going to be another least concerned, but hopefully I'll be surprised. But that is what I have for the shark section of this podcast, which you may be wondering isn't the whole thing about sharks it is we're going on to the safety portion but this one now I've kind of mixed it up this week a little bit because I usually go over what you can do to keep yourself safe from sharks but I was thinking this week 
what if we actually figured out ways that we can do or things we can do in our own lives that will help keep sharks safe? So kind of mixed it up a little bit here. So shark safety will now be both about keeping sharks safe and keeping humans safe. Lovely. Yay. But this one, I got all this information from sharksider.com. Uh, really a good resource if you want to get more shark information as well. I cannot recommend it enough. But they made a list of 10 ways to help sharks that you can do which I'll be going over this episode. So first thing is to learn as much as you can about sharks, and you're starting off in a great spot because if you're here, chances are that you would already like to learn more about sharks. So stay the course, and thanks for being here. Appreciate it. But learning about sharks and understanding how they operate is incredibly helpful in being safe uh, because the stigma that sharks only want to eat people and want to just kind of eat everything in their path it's wrong, first of all, but it also creates a lot of fear around sharks, and then that creates a lot of bad habits, like trying to sprint out of the water, and now it's following you. But what we're going to do, we're going to try to spread a different idea, and that's that sharks are curious, and they don't have hands. They have sharp teeth, but are usually kind of skittish. It's a lot longer, uh, but, you know, it's a mouthful, just like when sharks bite things. But number two don't use shark products. Now, this, of course, seems pretty obvious. Like, no duh, a great way to save sharks is to not eat shark meat or buy shark fins. Yes, that's obvious. But different shark oils and cartilage may be used in a variety of products, ranging from health and nutrition as well as beauty products. Doing research into what goes into the products will help to eliminate the need for these companies to buy more shark bits. So, thus, saving us from killing endangered species, which I think is a great idea. Number three, reduce your seafood consumption. Now, this may be hard for some people. Some of my favorite foods are seafood, especially shrimp and salmon, but I typically don't eat these very often unless I'm out at a restaurant. So it shouldn't hopefully be too hard for me, but next time I see it on the menu, I might pass it up. But this is going to be a little bit of a playoff of the fisheries. Like Once again, number one, fisheries have to go catch a lot of fish, so more demand means more fishing boats means more bycatch. I've mentioned many times, like with the silky shark, um, their bycatch a lot. Um, whale sharks have been caught up as bycatch before. So bycatch is a big issue. Tiger sharks too, hammerheads. They're going after fish, school of fish, and then the boat gets the school of fish and gets the shark. And they don't want the shark, so they don't really do anything with it. Uh, except for just it gets killed. So not needing as many fishing boats out there means less sharks are going to get caught up as bycatch. Helpful. But, <clears throat> excuse me, number four is going to be recycle. Now, I mentioned this a couple episodes ago, but how sharks will eat a lot of trash, and recycling will reduce the amount of trash uh, in the ocean, but also picking up trash off the beach as well. This will make sure that sharks don't accidentally eat it, uh, thinking it's fish, or just try when they try to catch a fish, catching the garbage instead. Now, another thing that I do want to talk about real quick is something called nurdles. There is a website called the Great Nurdle Hunt, which, for those of you that do not know, a nurdle is what plastic is when it's a small plastic bead before it's been melted down and turned into anything that we use plastic for. The issue is these aren't very regulated, and a lot of them get lost in the ocean or in the environment because they're not regulated really at all, so no one's really responsible if they get lost. But the issue is that they resemble small fish eggs. So animals like sea turtles, sharks, uh, fish, they go ahead and eat these thinking, oh, wow, there's abundance of eggs here. 
but then they have a full stomach of plastic and they die because there's no nutrition in it. So you can find these on your beach sometimes, hopefully not, but they look like small little little like pearls type deal. They're they're very tiny. Um, but you can definitely look them up online and see what they look like too. And you can also report where they are. This helps keep track of where they're washing ashore and everything like that. Uh, it's, I believe, greatnerdlehunt.com. Definitely Google the Great Nerdle Hunt and you should see it. Now, there's also a game called Nerdle, which is like Wordle. That is not what I am talking about. So, yeah, just, I mean, play that if you want to. No shade. But <laughs> number five going to be donate or volunteer with shark conservation organizations now this one's pretty simple there's many organizations that help with shark research and conservation and there's a list on weloveSharks.com. but just to name a few the aware aware is all capitalized there a-w-a-r-e project oceana headquarters uh shark angels shark savers and sea shepherd conservation society are just to name a few uh, but if you can't donate, simply follow on social media. Uh, will help spread their message. And I know that's kind of ironic that I've been pounding my own social medias into your heads for this entire podcast, and now I'm telling you to follow other social media. But it really is the easiest and the free way to just spread other people's messages. And, I mean, all I do sometimes is if I see something that I think is a good idea to repost, I'll throw it on my story for the day, and people will look at it. Sometimes I get a comment or two, so... Definitely something that you can look into in an easy way to interact there. But number six is to write to your local legislators. Now, Hawaii and California are amazing examples of this. As people spoke out about uh, human-shark interaction and shark fishing and baiting activities, and they've either been limited or banned to try to limit the amount of big sharks near people. So, you know, as I mentioned in I forget which episode that was, but there's a lot of great whites out there, and if you chum the waters nearby someone might get bit. So limit the amount of time that big sharks spend around people, you're going to have less bites, and legislation is what created that to happen. So writing your legislators can get that into the right movement. But this also helped force companies to stop using shark products. So even if you're in a landlocked state, this can still drum up support for any laws that are going through Congress or any sort of government. Uh, but with this too, it'll also help to make sure that no shark products enter your state, which will be, or your area, country, anything like that. I need to forget that this is not only a U.S. podcast, <laughs> but <laughs> I sometimes forget. I'm sorry. <laughs> but number seven is talk to local educators. Now, this can be schools, aquariums, any type of educator. Now, a lot of times people think that this just means only to go to your aquarium and talk to those shark experts there, but that's not the case because the educators are going to be the ones that can also spread messages to the people that they are teaching. So, of course, if you're at a school, you know, uh, if one of your friends works at a school and all of a sudden you want their kids to know about sharks, then tell them about my podcast. It'd be lovely. But also telling them about different things that are going on in the world can help to make sure that kids feel a certain way about it. Because if you get kids on your side, then that's great. Now, with that as well, I'm not saying to persuade kids one way or another, but I'm pretty sure you tell any kid, hey, they're out here killing sharks so they can eat their fins. It's not going to make a kid happy. So from there, there's probably a better way to do it. That's why I don't work in a school. But <laughs> with this, it's going to be something that's going to help because educators know how to spread that message, and they also can get that so that way they get more people behind the cause, even if that's talking with kids' families or anything like that. Which, speaking of speaking out, number eight is speaking out when you see abuse. 
Now, this one is sort of hard. You don't have to be confrontational, so it's not saying to choose someone out uh, because they mishandled a shark or they poked it or something. Optimistically thinking there's a good chance that someone just didn't know what they were doing wasn't good. I mean, I catch myself all the time do, having to change things because previously I thought, oh, this is totally fine. The next thing I know, I've been unintentionally killing the environment, so got to work on changing that. But this one as well, you can try to turn it into a learning experience for them. Be like, hey, did you realize that what you're doing here isn't actually great? You're chumming the waters right next to people swimming. That's not a good idea. They might get bit. But then again, that also might be an issue for some people because people do have social anxiety uh, and things like that. So the idea of talking to people that you're not very familiar with might make your heart race a little bit. So there also is another option. You can quickly talk to the lifeguard or local authorities. And they can help step in and then be the ones that educate. Now, mind you, even if you're not comfortable too and you got friends nearby, you can see if one of them is comfortable doing it. But worst case scenario, just notice it and if you can, write to someone or let someone know. So that way it can be stopped because hopefully people don't realize what they're doing is actually harmful. Best case scenario is that. Worst case, they're not going to stop anyway and then you just need to get authorities involved and it works out. But number nine is going to be go diving with sharks. Now, this, is once again, is easier for some more than others. Uh, I was lucky enough to go snorkeling with whale sharks, and it was amazing. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, this might not be an option for a lot of people uh, because variety of reasons you could be in landlocked states. You don't want to get in the water with sharks, which is also totally fine. You don't have the means to do it. A lot of things like that. Now, I'd say that when I saw whale sharks in the Georgia Aquarium versus out in the Gulf of Mexico. Two very different experiences, both very breathtaking. So I'd say that seeing one in an aquarium is still amazing. I'd recommend going and doing that as well. Interact with sharks however you can. Just be involved, and even if that's just listening to this podcast or doing more research or telling your friends about sharks, anything like that is going to help to raise awareness about sharks and create a more of a love for sharks too so you don't actually have to jump into the water head first and share stare a shark right in the face to have to love it i mean i'd probably be terrified if i saw a great white face to face i hope to do it one day but also i'd be very okay if i saw them from a cage that'd be fine too i'm in the cage cage diving is what i'm talking about not putting sharks in a cage that probably would not be the best idea but last but not least you're gonna love it Number 10, spread awareness on social media. We're back to social media. That is, I think, the third time, maybe fourth time I've mentioned social media on this podcast, this episode. So with this, share posts you see about sharks, follow shark-related pages, you know, like Deep Dives with Sharks on Instagram or Deep Dive Sharks on Twitter. Both are good. But ones like O-Search, they do a lot of great things. Uh, your local aquarium does a lot, too. I follow pretty much any aquarium I've been to and then a bunch that are on my list to go to as well. Uh, also, I'd say the Georgia Aquarium is probably one of my favorite aquarium pages because, of course, they post a lot of whale shark content. And as they opened up their new shark alley in 2020, that one also gets a lot of updates, too. So you get a lot of shark information there. But uh, for those of you that are in the Baltimore area or for those of you that are not, Mr. Trash Wheel has a social media page. For those of you who do not know who Mr. Trash Wheel is, it's a literal trash wheel. It sits at the mouth of the Jones Falls and catches all the trash that comes down from there into a dumpster, and then they empty it. Now, it is one of five trash wheels that are around the Baltimore Harbor. So there's Mr. Trash Wheel, Professor Trash Wheel, I believe Dr. Trash Wheels out there. 
Um, but all of them are named Trash Wheel. They're all awesome. They're all made by the Healthy Harbor Initiative, and they do have a really good social media presence. Uh, they also have a, a beer with Peabody Heights that also helps to fund the Healthy Harbor Initiative. So that's another great page to follow. I got on a little sidetrack there about Mr. Trash Wheel. I absolutely love him. You'll see him like right next to the aquarium too. He's fantastic. Does a lot of good work. I think I, I cannot remember how many pounds of trash. I think it was over a million in his first year or something like that. But it, it's helped to keep so much trash out of the harbor and out of the bay. And I think it is a phenomenal idea. Definitely give that a follow. I believe it's just at Mr. Trash Wheel. And you'll see a trash wheel with big googly eyes. You're, you're at the right spot. But uh, that is what I have for the shark safety part of this podcast once again if you have any questions or anything like that i've already plugged the socials enough but give me a follow there and then we can interact that way as well but i do have some shark news i know that we gave a little bit of shark news earlier in the episode but this one all of them got sent to me by young william uh he was my former college roommate and absolute god and he's also older than me i don't know why i call him young william i mean i guess we're both young still so it counts but first one that he sent me, I actually found kind of amusing. Um, it was food blogger who cooked eight great white shark, great white shark fined eighteen thousand five hundred dollars, and this was reported by CBS News. Now this one was interesting to me because, of course, being a curious person. I've always kind of wondered since people eat shark quite frequently, and there's been so many initiatives to try to get rid of like shark finning and everything like that, like what would be possible to make sure that we could go ahead and I guess the right word is like what we could, like what would it actually taste like? But of course I did not know how in the world I was going to actually ever taste it because I think the idea of me keeping a shark alive brings me so much more joy than ever figuring out what it tastes like. And I think I'm okay with that, but to break this story down, uh, there was a Chinese food blogger who bought great white shark and cooked it in a variety of ways. One way was to saute it in a wok, and the other was just grilling it. Uh, she also ate the meat on camera and stated that it was tender, so mystery solved. Now I don't ever have to try it. Now, you may be thinking, Alex, isn't China known for eating sharks, or how'd she get in trouble? Great question, audience. Well... There are a lot of things that go into this. So China was one of the countries that did, at least previously, I'm pretty sure they still do, uh, are a part of the shark fin trade. But there are certain species that are protected, like the great white shark. So because she was able to buy and consume great white shark meat, that's illegal. So... She received a fine equal to $18,000 or $18,500, sorry, while the fisher who caught the shark and the merchant who sold it were both arrested. Arrested. Sorry, I said that weird. Arrested. There we go. <laughs> so the moral story is don't eat shark in general, but especially where it's illegal. So California, not allowed. I'm also not sure of many places in the U.S. that allow you to eat shark meat, but the be one to research. I might have to look that up and I'll probably correction corner be like, no, a lot of states, but we'll, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> so the next one that got sent is actually a pretty local story by pretty local. 
We finally got a Maryland story, guys. We did it. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> but uh, the nine-year-old Maryland girl discovers once-in-a-lifetime megalodon tooth, and this was reported by CNN. So we did it, Marylanders. We finally got a shark story that isn't just shark showed up in Ocean City because, surprise, they do that a lot. But as the title suggests, a nine-year-old from Prince Frederick, Maryland, was waiting out in Calvert Beach uh, when she found a five-inch fossilized megalodon tooth. She tried to grab it with her sifting tool, but it was unable to because it was actually pretty big. So she had to grab it with her hand. She stated that she always loved finding fossils because they're really old and they are really cool, which I have to agree with a thousand percent. That's actually pretty sick. I always, whenever I'm at any beach, I always do try to find shark teeth, uh, especially down in Clearwater where I know they get a lot of great hammerheads. But also here in Ocean City, I try grabbing any that I can find. I've only found very small ones in the past, but... Hopefully one day I'll actually find a, a nice, decent-sized, fully intact one. That'd be kind of cool. But they did take the tooth to a local museum, which confirmed that it was, in fact, a megalodon tooth, which is pretty exciting stuff. But those are the two stories that I had for you guys this week. Thank you again for listening and watching. Give me a follow on the socials that I listed earlier. I'll list them again one more time for you. Twitter is Deep Dive Sharks. Instagram, Deep Dives with Sharks, same as the podcast name. Or you can just search either of them and it should pop up. But please send me any comments, any questions, or any sharks that you want me to do. Also participate in any of the polls that I throw up around there. And lastly, give us a rating on Apple or Spotify and tell a friend about us or your local school about it. Who knows? Maybe we'll see you there. But thank you all for listening and I will talk to you in the next episode. Take care. Mm -hmm.